Amen. Thank you, Pastor Edgar. You know, I was thinking this morning of how blessed we are to have a pastoral team like we do here at Grace Point, our staff, to serve alongside Pastor Rex and Pastor Ryan, Pastor Edgar, Pastor Katrina, and Deb, and Pastor Javier. It is such a blessing. Aren't you thankful for the staff that God has given to us at our church? Amen. You, you may not know it, but not every church is blessed the way we are, and we are so blessed by who God has entrusted to us. I'm thankful for that. If you would uh, grab your bulletin this morning, you're going to need that, and in your bulletin is the sermon notes. If you'll grab those, as you're looking there, if you have green sermon notes in your bulletin, I want you just to kind of wave it at me, if you've got those, the green sermon notes. Very good. Look, find out what you have. Uh, if you have pink, I'm not talking to you right now, I'm talking if you have green. In fact, everybody who has green sermon notes, would you stand right now? Just go with me right Just stand right now. Uh, I, I want to honor you, those who have green sermon notes. These are very special people in our midst. Now, if you have green sermon notes, look around to the person who's standing closest to you. Don't be proud. I saw you sit up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. Now, now look around, find the other green sermon note people. You need to identify where they're at. Now, if... If everything just gets real tough today in the sermon, you know you can trust these people. These are green sermon note people. They are special people. In fact, let's give them a hand today. Let's, let's thank them for being in our midst. You are awesome. You can have a seat. Now, now the rest of, of you have pink sermon notes. Now, those who have green, I, I want you to look. Notice the people around you who didn't have green. They're pink sermon note people. You know what they're like. Okay. We'll just leave it at that. You know what they're like, so watch out for them. If things get crazy, I told you, find the nearest green sermon note person. You can trust them. Now, as silly as, as that was, I believe God's Word is going to point out it's even more foolish than that when we allow prejudice to be a part of our life as believers. All of us have known the sting of prejudice in one form or another. I'm not saying it's equal. I'm not saying it's the same for everybody. But, but everybody has sensed some aspect of prejudice in their life. And all of us harbor some type of prejudice in our own hearts at one point or another. It's as varied as the human experience. And most prejudice is far more damaging than having a certain color sermon note outline whatever silliness that was most prejudice has a greater impact more damage than any of those silly illustrations would ever have some of you have grown up and you have inherited and you have chosen to go along with the prejudice against people of different color skin in your life some of you have deep feelings about those who speak with an accent that is different than yours, or who wear different clothes than you wear, or who look or smell different than you do. You can't really describe why. It's just there. You just, you just have experienced it. You just have your own reasons. It's just who you are. It's just where you've been raised, how you've been raised. Others of you have a prejudice against the establishment. Or maybe you have a prejudice against the anti-establishment people. You know who they are. Maybe it's your prejudice against those liberals. Or your prejudice against those conservatives. Your prejudice against the wealthy. Greedy goobers. Or your prejudice against the poor. Those lazy people. 
those with short hair, those with long hair, those with gray hair, and those with no hair. I felt your prejudice. (laughs) The point is that we all have had some kind of prejudice. We become masters at hiding them until certain circumstances in our life bring them to the surface. And perhaps the deepest, the strongest prejudice of all is religious taboos. It's the list of do's and don'ts that we subscribe to that get longer and longer and longer the more we're around that certain group of people. And you have a hard time with those whose list is different from your list. Well, that brings us to Peter's story in Acts chapter 10. We've been studying the book of Acts. Grab your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 10 with me. Starting in chapter 10, we're going to see that these early believers, this New Testament church, the beginning of the church, those who have learned what it means to count the cost and follow Jesus Christ, they're taking the gospel to different cultures, to different regions, to places where they speak different languages. And this is about shining forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's like a beacon of light. But before we can take this gospel beacon of light around the world, we have to be able to take it across the street and across town and into different circles of people whom which we live close to. And to do that requires overcoming prejudice. It's interesting to note, the first thing I want you to jot down in your notes, whether they're, they're pink or green, and jot this down, it's this, that even though Peter was spirit-filled, he was still a prejudiced man. Now, I confess to you, I don't like that. I didn't want to put that down in our outline this week. There's parts of me wants to say, well, that, that can't be true, but friends, that's in God's Word. And Peter was not only a born-again believer who accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, he followed him. He was also baptized with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit. He was sanctified holy. And we're going to find in Acts chapter 10 that there were still things that God was purifying in his heart. And one of them was this prejudice that he held. He was the uncontested leader of the church. But his heart was still bound by deep-seated prejudice. It goes all the way back to the early history of the Jews. When God chose the Jews through their father Abraham, he set his heart on the nation of Israel. It wasn't because that they were better, that they were more deserving of this. It was simply because God chose a people through whom he could work his redemptive plan for all of mankind. In essence, God had to start somewhere to reach everybody, and he chose to start with Israel. Now, they became a chosen people of God, and as time passed, a lie began to afflict God's chosen people. It's a lie that still haunts, and it still is around in many facets of the church today, and it's this, jot it down, it's the second thing we're going to see in Acts chapter 10 together today, that religious prejudice, it will say lies to us like this, because we are God's chosen people, we are superior people. I mean, because we're God's chosen people, we're better than those heathens. Because God set his heart on the Jews, the Gentiles must be a cut below. A cut below the Jews, and they're definitely less on God's scorecard. As tradition and prejudice began to run their awful course to their lives, the Gentiles were looked upon as the scum of the earth by the Jews. For example, if a Jew would brush up against a Gentile on the path, he would immediately 
find a place to wash himself for fear that he was defiled in some way for rubbing shoulders with a dirty Gentile. Generation after generation fueled this prejudice, impacting this impressionable minds of children, communicating to them that it is unlawful, even sinful, to play, to work, to associate with these Gentile dogs. Peter had been raised with this prejudice. And through his story here in Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit teaches us a very important object lesson. Take your Bible and look with me at Acts chapter 10, and we're going to find in there this third thing. In the church of Jesus Christ, there is zero tolerance for prejudice. It's not just, you know, there shouldn't be, or it's not good, or have as little as you possibly can, or try to, you know, purify your prejudice, but you're going to have some. In the church of Jesus Christ, there is zero tolerance for prejudice. Now note the next thing that's down there for you. God will expose, not only for Peter, God will expose for you and he'll expose for me our prejudice through the most unlikely of people around us. It's time to go to God's Word because what I've said so far has no value if it's just Brady's thoughts. But let's find out what God's Word says and I'm going to give you a heads up. It affirms everything that we've looked at so far. Verse 1 of Acts chapter 10. In Caesarea there lived a woman, excuse me, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius who was a captain of the Italian regiment. Now, God has a a real sense of humor here. He couldn't have picked a a more unlikely person to expose Peter's prejudice. First of all, he was a Gentile. Cornelius was a Gentile. And he wasn't just any Gentile. He was a Roman Gentile. And he wasn't just a Roman Gentile. He was a Roman army officer Gentile. The, The most despised. God would use the most unlikely source to expose Peter's prejudice. And God will use the most unlikely people to set you and to set me free from the prejudice if you and I will remain teachable. Let's find out about this man Cornelius in verse 2. He was a devout, God-fearing man and was and, and excuse me, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. You see, Cornelius is not your average Roman officer. He, he possesses a, a humble, a teachable spirit. Now notice, he has a spiritual sensitivity as we look at verse 3 through 8. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. Well, well what is it, sir? The angel, he asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. There was no delay for Cornelius. He had learned the importance of following orders from his commander-in-chief and to follow them to a T right away. Now notice that when God works on one end of a situation, he's also working on the other. We're going to see that here in just a moment in the text. You see, God will expose my prejudice through life experiences. 
Look at verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, that's the city of Joppa, Peter went up on the roof to pray. What great timing God has here. The angel speaks to Cornelius about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And and Caesarea is about a day's walk from Joppa. So about noon on the following day, these guys are entering into the city looking for Peter. And the Holy Spirit prompts him to pray. I mean, this isn't an accident. This isn't a coincidence. It's a divine appointment that God has set up. He's working on the heart of Cornelius. He's working on the heart of Peter. And he brings them to the right place at the right time for God to expose some things in the heart of Peter. Verse 10. So Peter went up on the roof to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. That verse encourages me. I don't know about you. I never get as hungry as I am when I'm praying. It seems like when you really try to just dive into your devotions, you're really trying to dive into the Word, you're trying to dive into prayer, you get hungry, your stomach growls, you think of all the things you didn't do, the dishes that are in the sink, the trash that you didn't take out, the email that you didn't respond to, all these things, they're bombarding him, and and God says, oh, okay, I, I, I can... I can use that. I can work with that. You see, God will expose our prejudice through the spiritual disciplines. That's to say through prayer, through fasting, through meditation, through reading His Word. They're useful for far more than that, but He will use those disciplines when we align ourselves with Him through prayer and study the Word and fasting and meditation on Him. He will align us in those things and He will highlight the prejudice in our heart. It's as if to say, God is looking down and says, okay, Peter, you're hungry, huh? You're praying and you're hungry. I can use your hunger. Let me give you a vision to help you see, tied to your hunger, what's really in your heart. Look at verse 11 through 13 of Acts chapter 10. In this vision that Peter has, here's what he sees. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In this sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat them. What? What is this saying? What in the world could this be about? Well, if you were a Jew, you would know exactly what this is about. See, the Jews were proud of few things more than their kosher diet. They had a lot of rules they wanted to keep. They had a lot of religion that they held on to. But their list of rules about what they would and wouldn't eat was one of their favorite things to keep and hold up. It was one of the longest of the religious lists that they would have. After all, it went all the way back to Moses and the Levitical writings. And now, in a vision, God tells Peter to eat these things that had been forbidden for a Jew to eat for such a long time. Are you beginning to get this picture? Now listen to the words of of Peter, who's at this point displaying a little bit of a religious legalist in his mindset. Look at Acts chapter 10, verse 14. No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. That sounds a lot like the Peter who promised Jesus the night before he was crucified. I will never abandon you, Jesus. I'll never deny you. Me? This is Peter. I'm not going to do that. Now now think about that response with me for a moment. How can you use the word no and the word Lord in the same sentence? It's like a private turning to his commanding general saying, Sir, no way. 
You never do that. I mean, if you value your life, you're not going to do that. The words Lord and no cannot coexist in the same sentence unless you really don't mean that he is your Lord. Now, in this moment, we're going to begin to see that Peter begins to open his heart to the Lord, and the Lord begins to change some things in his heart. But at this moment, he's not receiving it, and his first response is, No, Lord. Are you catching it today? See, Peter says, I have never eaten anything disgusting like that, and I would never eat anything disgusting like that. Now, let me translate that for you. Interpreted, that means, I'm so proud of me, God. God. I mean, I've got a perfectly clean record here. I don't eat nasty seafood. That's what I don't eat. I don't know if you eat that nasty stuff. I don't, I don't eat that defiled food. <laughs> Yuck. And, and I've got a perfect record. God, I'm so proud of my perfect record. I, I'm so, look at this, look at this, God. And that's what's beginning to come out in his life. Let me ask you this morning, what are the things on your sheet that you would never do. Hey, you love the Lord. You've been raised in the church. You may even be filled with the Holy Spirit. But don't assume that every thought and every conviction that governs your life comes from the Holy Spirit. Make sure it comes from God's Word. Make sure it comes from the Holy Spirit. But don't assume that just because you've thought it, just because it's been a conviction you've had, that it's from the Holy Spirit. There may be today a Cornelius that God is sending across your path to burst your prejudice, your self-righteous bubble that if we're not careful will envelop each of us. As you're saying yes to the Holy Spirit, He will begin to give freedom in your life. As you begin to say no to the Holy Spirit, you are given a foothold for the enemy to take root in your life. Now if you think this is easy, you need to think again. The message comes to Peter, not once, not twice, but three times. And still, he's perplexed. Three times. I wish I had more time this morning to to talk about that. There's some significance there. But it's not once, it's not twice, it's three times. Notice what the voice says in verse 15. If God says something is acceptable, don't say it isn't. See, Peter's prejudice has just been exposed. And now, the fifth thing I want you to write down is, is not only can Peter overcome his prejudice, but But you and I, we can overcome our prejudice by accepting who God accepts. This is not just about food that we eat. It's about people that we are to love. Try putting yourself in Peter's sandals. If God would lay in front of you some taboo, some prejudice that you have been taught since the earliest years of your life, and and say, that which you thought for so long was unclean, that now the Lord said, hey, this is clean, I've made it clean, you'd have a hard time accepting it. It's the way you were taught, it's what you're comfortable with, it's, it, it's what you know. Now, it's not really what the Bible teaches you, but it's what you were taught. Alexander White has written these words, listen to them. All mankind, except Peter and a few of his friends, was bound up in one abominable bundle. Peter was standing above, scowling and spitting on them all. Also, like ourselves, we also bundle up whole nations of men and put them into the same unclean sheet, 
whole churches that we know little about except for the bad name that we've given them. Every party outside of our own political party and we state that they are unclean. We have no language wicked enough to express their self-seeking schemes. They are four-footed beasts, creepy, crawly things. Indeed, there are very few men alive, and especially those who live near us, who are not sometimes in the sheet of our scorn. Alexander writes. Those are some tough words. But I don't think they're just tough words from Alexander. They're, they're tough words that God is bringing to us as Dr. Luke is writing this account of the early church to us. I'm so thankful that God prompted him not to leave out this chapter where we begin to see all kinds of miraculous things happen in the early church and powerful sermons being preached and great conversions taking place and healings happening and, and the mission is going on. And yet this seems to be out of order. Like, did, did we get the table and contents messed up? How could this be happening among people that God was using? I believe it's, it's, a, it's a warning flag to show to us God is saying, Hey, hey, as you are a spirit-filled believer, I reserve the right to continue to purify your heart, to continue to say there may be things that I am going to bring to the surface that have no business being in you, and I want to purify and bring them out. See, the thought is where do we get off judging people like that? Friend, I tell you, it comes from our, our prejudice, which is in our pride. We need to accept what God accepts. Now, out of my concern that you'll misunderstand me today, because our society has so skewed what tolerance is or what acceptance is, they've so hijacked this term, this concept, and perverted it that it has lost all of its biblical meaning. I want to make sure that we understand the biblical concept of tolerance. I need to clarify what biblical acceptance looks like. See, our society makes no difference between judging a person from judging their behavior. But those who are led by the Holy Spirit not only can, but must make that distinction. See, biblical tolerance is this, accepting the person without accepting their sinful behavior. Up until this point, Peter had not made this distinction in his mind. We may chuckle or laugh or seem that it's trivial at this dietary problem he had of what was okay to eat and not eat. But friend, we do the same thing. We begin to get caught up in traditions and things that we've held dear that if we're honest, it really didn't come from God's Word. It really wasn't something the Holy Spirit gave to us. It's things that we have picked up from somewhere and we hang on to them as if they were God's words themselves. Mom and Dad... What in the world must your adult child do to find someone that you will accept as their marriage partner? Teen, what in the world must someone do to break into the circle of your accepted friend list in your life? Christian brother or sister, have you already written off your neighbors as unclean, defiled people? See, whenever God gives us a sermon like this, a message like this, a a prompting like this, He always gives us some homework. See, overcoming prejudice requires that we obey what God commands. It's a requirement for us to overcome this prejudice. We have to act in obedience to what he is commanding. Notice with me verse 20 and 21, what he tells Peter to do. The Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Go down and go with them without hesitation. So Peter went down and said, I am the man you're looking for. What's important with that? God spoke, Peter 
Though uncomfortable with what this vision told him, he acted in obedience to what God said. Now notice, Peter was still a prejudiced man, but his heart was now being softened. He was humbled. He was teachable. He was being obedient to the Holy Spirit. The next day, he leaves with these Gentiles and arrives in Caesarea. This is Caesar's town. For the first time, Peter is now a stranger. He is the oddball. I found that one of the best cures for cultural and racial prejudice is to travel to another country and spend some time with the people there. Anyone who has spent time in another country where they speak a different language and their culture is different than ours, you have experienced, no doubt, what Peter must have felt. He was starting to experience the other side of prejudice, and he was now beginning to see that he was in the minority, and and maybe not everybody did the things the way he did things. But notice how Cornelius received him. Look at verse 24 and 25. They arrived in Caesarea, and the following day, Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. Now that's, that's what I call honoring the guest, the foreigner. They sat down together to compare their amazing stories, to bear witness to what God and His Holy Spirit had brought them together and what He's spoken to them. Verse 34 tells us that Peter, he's finally getting it. See, he's, he's learning from God's correction. He's not just obeying what God commands. He's now beginning to learn from God's correction. Look at verse 34 and 35. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God doesn't show partiality. In every nation he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Friend, this is so important. Don't miss this. Don't let Satan twist these words today and get you to think that this is going soft on what sin is or going soft on what God has said. Hey, hey. what he's saying here is God accepts people from every nation, every people group who fear him and do what he says. God is saying, listen, I am the one who sets the non-negotiables. I am the one who says this is the way life should be. And regardless if they follow your cultural customs, your preferences, whether they look like you or not, talk like you or not, smell like you or not, if they honor me and do what I say, you are their brother and sister. Love them. Peter had to unlearn everything his family, everything his culture in even everything his rabbi taught him about Gentiles. But it was necessary. And for Peter, it was liberating to learn that in every nation God accepts those who fear him and do what is right. In a second, I'm going to read a quote. But as I read this quote, I want you to picture in your mind's eye a, a person that you have marked off as unclean. You may know exactly who they are. Maybe it's a people group. Maybe it's a category of people. It may have something to do with race. It may not have something to do with race. It may have something to do with wealth or poverty. It may have something to do with a political position. It may have something to do with just your own preferences. It's the the unwritten things that's governing in your heart. I want you to imagine that person or that people group right before you. And as I read these words, I just want you to imagine that you were saying these words to them. Now, you may not, but just imagine if you were saying these to them and the power that could come behind it. You are valuable to me just like you are. I want to allow you to be the real you. You aren't forced into someone else's idea of who you are. Acceptance means that you can try out your ideas without being cast down. 
You can even express heretical thoughts and discuss them with intelligence. No one will pronounce judgment on you even though they don't agree with you. Now, it doesn't mean that you'll never be corrected or you'll never be shown to be wrong. It simply means it's safe to be you. And no one around here will destroy you out of prejudice. Friend, I ask you today, because our text is asking us today, how accepting are you? As we learn a lot about our Savior, Jesus Christ, we see that He was unbending in His devotion to the Father, yet He was infinitely accepting of people who desperately needed the love of the Father. I want to be that kind of a person. I know you want to be that kind of a person. We want to be that kind of a church. As we conclude this morning, there's three life applications that I I think the Scripture is screaming out to us today to apply to our life right now. The first is this. We need to acknowledge that the root cause of our prejudice, it is pride, not culture. Now, I'm not trying to say that our culture hasn't, you know, propagated prejudice and passed it on one to the other. I'm not saying that doesn't take place. I'm saying the root, the core, the beginning issue of it is our pride. In James chapter 2, verse 9, God gets very specific. He's very clear about this. If you show favoritism, you sin. It's time to quit excusing our prejudice as some cultural, racial, economic, religious thing. It is at its core pride, plain and simple. It's pretty straightforward. Remember, even after Peter walked with Jesus for three years, personally experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he still had a deep-seated prejudice that needed to be overcome. And God brought that out of him. There was victory over this sin. God brought freedom in his life, but he had to acknowledge what it was. The difference in Peter's life was now that he was confronted with this pride. He repented. He allowed God to change his heart and to begin to change his mind. Pride could no longer find a, a, a foothold because he was completely under the, the Spirit's control in his life. Friend, this is a great example of what it means to live a life led and controlled by the Holy Spirit. If you've not taken the 201 class that we offer from time to time each and every year, it's three sessions, three Wednesday nights that talk about how to live a life led and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And when we surrender to the Holy Spirit like that, it doesn't mean that it's impossible for us to have willful disobedience or sin, but it means that it is possible for us not to succumb to that willful disobedience and sin. We can have victory over that, and that took place in Peter's life. Second takeaway for us this morning is prejudice is fueled by tradition, not Scripture. It was the Jewish tradition that fueled Peter's prejudice against the Gentiles, not the Scriptures themselves. Now, and I don't miss this, religious prejudice loves to hide behind the Bible. What a great trick of Satan. He wants to get people who love God to have this prideful prejudice in their heart that God calls sin, and they hide behind it and mask it with God's Word. And how do you know if you're deceived? You don't. You're deceived. You're buying into the lie. This idea that prejudice, it's fueled by Scripture. I have some scriptural mandate. No, no, no. It's fueled by tradition. It keeps us from facing the reality of pride in our heart. See, the issue is about judging a person, 
not about compromising truth. I state it again. Don't let Satan twist this up for you. This is not about going soft on truth, soft on sin, that we don't have any stance on anything. No. This is about loving the people that God loves. There is no room, zero tolerance, for prejudice in the church of Jesus Christ, in the New Testament church, and the church of Jesus Christ today. Third, overcoming prejudice. It is painful, but it's absolutely necessary. Many of us resist change like the plague. We want nothing to do with it. Even when we're convinced it's for our own good. And the more deep-seated the prejudice is, the harder it is to change. But when you do what Peter did, and you experience this great liberty from freedom, you are free to accept others for who they are. It doesn't mean you don't call sin, sin, but it means your heart loves every person your eyes come in contact with because God loves them. You are free to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. Friend, aren't you glad that the Lord didn't write you off? Aren't you glad He loves you and He welcomes you to know Him just the way you are, where you're at? Last week we talked about His provenient grace that ran to you before you ever ran to Him. Would you bow your head as we begin to pray? Friend, I believe it's time to start accepting others the way God accepts us. It's time to quit trying to put God in a box and let Him freely work out His will in that impossible situation in our life. It's time for the end of prejudice to be here. I ask you this morning, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? Has He exposed any prejudice in your heart? If so, how will you respond to Him today? Will you resist Him? Will you humble yourself before Him? Remember, you can't say no and Lord at the same time. Remember, it's time to stop blaming mom and dads. time to stop blaming our city, our culture, our town. It's time to stop blaming whatever it is and say, God, would you take this sinful pride from me and would you begin to give me a heart for the people that you have a heart for? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word that has been so powerful for us again today. I thank you, Lord, that your word never, ever comes back void. So, Lord, I ask that you'll not just stir our hearts today with your word. I ask that we won't just receive a little spiritual goosebump, strike on our funny bones spiritually that just kind of sends a chill up and down our spine. But, God, would you you bring change in our heart? As the psalmist said, search my heart, O God, if there's any wicked way would you rip it out no matter how uncomfortable it may be no matter how entrenched it may be would you begin to force it to the surface of our life god and even if you use the most unlikely of situations and people and circumstances would you bring freedom to us because god you want us to remember that every time you say don't you're saying don't it's going to hurt it's going to hurt you it's going to hurt someone else and so god would you lead us to the freedom of seeing people the way that you see them. In the powerful and precious name of your son Jesus, we pray these things. Amen and amen. Church, I want to thank you for your attention this morning. I'm absolutely confident that God is not ending his discussion with you on Acts chapter 10. He's beginning that. 
And so take some time this week to read through Acts 10 and, and walk through the acronym that I've put in your notes there for you of SOAP. You can walk through the scripture and make some observations and look for applications and pray on how God would speak to you through that this week.